0: Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I'm so happy that you're here to join me today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Dr. Brian Boxer-Walkler. I got that right, right?
1: You did. (laughs) Okay.
0: Listeners, you know I have trouble with names sometimes. Dr. Brian is the author of Perceptual Intelligence, The Brain's Secret to Seeing Past Illusion, Misperception, and Self-Deception. Wow. Brian, I... I have an issue. I speak typos. I already told you that when we were in our pre-chat, but that was a tongue twister for me. Wow.
1: And you made it. You made it.
0: I made it. I didn't contribute to the blooper reel in the first five seconds. That's that's a score <laughs> for today. Anyway, I would love if you would jump in and introduce yourself better than I have just done to the listeners.
1: So I am an ophthalmologist uh, eye surgeon. And I've always had an interest in psychology back in college. Well, actually, I have to go back even before college. When I was in sixth grade, I secretly checked out from our school's library, Judy Bloom's classic, Are You There? God, It's Me, Margaret. Because I was really curious how the mind of the opposite sex worked. And then in college, I was, I was a psychology major and a biology major. Because I wanted to better understand the inner workings of the mind. And then my desire to become a doctor and help people in that way took me in that road. So I was at the 2014 Winter Olympics uh, for my patient, Stephen Holcomb, who was the U.S. bobsledder. And he had an eye disease that I had treated called keratoconus, where the cornea is weak and bulges out. It had really derailed his career back in 2007 when. He, at that point, had to retire because his vision was so blurry, and it created a lot of problems. He had depression over this and some some other issues that he actually details in his book um, that he had published after, but now I see. And I had developed a procedure to strengthen his cornea called C3R, which I later renamed in his honor Holcomb C3R because he won the gold medal in bobsled at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver in 2010. Well, then I was there in 2004 years ago at the Sochi Olympics in Russia to support him. Um, and there I saw how Vladimir Putin was manipulating the world's perceptions compared to what I was really seeing what was happening in Russia. And that's what made me decide to write the book. And I wanted to help people understand how their perceptions work and can be accurate or can derail them and cause some problems ranging from serious financial issues to even health problems or, you know, maybe even life or death situations because of having perceptions that have gone awry. And that's the reason why I wrote the book was to help people with their decision-making.
0: What are some of the biggest factors in decision-making that you see?
1: Well, I'll I'll first give the definition of perceptual intelligence to help answer that, which is how we interpret our experiences to better separate fantasy from reality. Because we all come at this point in life with lots of different biases in terms of how we were raised, how we were parented, religion, culture, um, social influences around us. And that can affect how we can perceive and does affect how we perceive, actually. So understanding, and the first step is to have insight that we all have biases and acknowledge that and be honest with yourself. Because when you are and you have that insight, then that allows you to open up and to be able to see what's real and understand the truth in anything including what you're even reading on the internet or or news. You know, there's a lot of quote unquote fake news. How do you sift through that and really understand what's truthful? Because if you're, you want to operate on good information in your life, and that's what the book helps people do.
0: I cannot remember which guest I was speaking with, and I feel so rude for saying that. But I just this week learned the phrase inherited purpose, which goes a bit with this. I mean, we're not talking about purpose. Purpose, but there is that inherited perception. You know, we start seeing things as our parents did, or as the society around us does, and we we inherit it from them without making our own judgments and decisions. So, I can totally see that.
1: Oh, I, I was just going to say. I mean, to your point is, is essentially we're we're all clay, right? When we come into this world, and if you and I happen to have been raised in Saudi Arabia, like our beliefs about a lot of things in life would be really, really different than the way they are now. So that's just the example of even how, you know, culture in different countries shapes profoundly how people perceive the world.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. My husband is a U.S. Air Force veteran and one of his deployments I guess it wasn't a deployment, but he was in South Korea. So he's always watching what's going on in North Korea. And this isn't necessarily appropriate. I can't remember his first name or his name, Kim Jong-un, the the emperor or the king or whatever he is of North Korea. Folks, I I don't, Mm -hmm. I I didn't enjoy social studies, so I don't know the proper title of him, but how his, his country, his citizens don't even think that he poops. They think he's a God and he's perfect. and Exactly. Which just amazes me. How can I, I can't imagine just the brainwashing that's gone on over there.
1: I mean, essentially, it's like a, a countrywide cult, by and large. The same thing you see with cults, for example, in the United States, how they brainwash people. And there's a chapter in the book, actually, about cults exclusively. There's a whole chapter about that concept. And because, you know, perception and perceptual intelligence applies to everything in life, everything in life. And when you have the situation over there in North Korea, you're exactly right. You know, they're they're brainwashed. It's it's like a gigantic cult.
0: Absolutely. This is so not, you know, talking about perceptual intelligence, but I almost just wanna drop a whole plane load of the children's book, Everybody Poops, into North Korea. (laughs) I know that's so not appropriate. I'm sorry, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we were discussing a little bit pre chat. The <laughs> Olympics are starting the day after this episode airs. And I didn't even know that it's, I didn't even know that there's Olympics this year because I have, for the most part, removed myself from watching TV. Yes, we have cable, but only because it gets us a cheaper internet rate. And I tend to stay clear of the news on social media just because it seems to be so negative lately. And it, it's not helping my greater purpose. So I steer clear. But one of the items or one of the topics in your book is why do we gravitate to products endorsed by celebrities? Is that true, though? Sorry, I have not read it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And I can see how, you know, if... Well, I can see all the time how when we're watching TV and we're seeing the commercials, one that I can think of right now is Old Spice. You know, those classic Old Spice commercials. See, this is the last time I watched TV. I don't even know if they're still on these days with the guy. The... (sighs) The tall, handsome, dark guy is in the shower and he's like, this is why you need it, you know, or, and people flock to it. Personally, I don't like the smell, just being honest, but it took off because of that. Or
1: You don't like the smell. You don't like the smell, Kim, because you haven't hung around a lot of fishing hatcheries for a while, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely have not. (laughs) But I mean, when you look at other brands as well, it seems like every pop star has their own perfume brand or female pop star right now has their own perfume brand. And people are flocking to it just because it's either designed by or promoted by the celebrity.
1: And it's a huge problem because celebrities, and for that matter, anybody that people look up to or admire, have what's called the halo effect, which means that whatever their opinions are, whatever they state, can have a tremendous amount of influence because people admire them, even if they're talking about something outside of what they're admired about. And I'll give you an example with a celebrity. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress, used to do commercials for this yogurt called Activia. And the company's claim that it improved your digestion turned out to be false. But here, a celebrity... Um probably unknowing that it was a false statement. But nonetheless, a celebrity and the company together, they hijacked a lot of people's perceptual intelligence who just blindly believed the ads and ran out and bought this yogurt, expecting to help them with the digestive problem, when in fact it was shown by the, and the FTC came down on the company um, for false claims. So when people at least let like now they understand The influence of celebrities and how that can seduce people to believing what they want to believe. Having that insight can help people become more bulletproof against that influence. And at least to to check it out and and be critical about, to think critically about what they hear. And there was an interesting situation, too, because so many people believe what they read on the Internet now. And there's a, a comedy website called The Onion. And they put out a joke press release, a complete joke fake press release stating that Johnson & Johnson, the makers of Visine, have now come out with eye whitening strips.
0: No, they didn't. They really?
1: Well, there's a lot of people who have bloodshot eyes or sun-damaged eyes, um, brown spots on the eyes for, uh, as well, or yellow spots. Well, because I had developed an actual eye whitening surgery to help people like this, we had all these people starting to call well, first they were calling Johnson & Johnson asking about the strips, and they said, well, they don't exist. Well, then a lot of people started calling my office and asking my staff, and we we said, no, no, they, they, they don't exist. This was a joke. But then some people asked the staff, they actually asked the staff, well, can I go out and buy the Crest teeth whitening strips and just put those in my eyes? And they said, yes, 100% true. And my staff said, no, no, that's dangerous. Don't do that this makes the point though this is this is really the point of the story is when people have emotions behind a problem they want to solve a lot of times they'll grasp at straws right and sometimes it could be dangerous straws that they grasp at and when you have an emotional um, aspect to where you're going with the belief understand recognize that it's you've got an emotional component And that takes some discipline. That's not always easy, especially in the heat of the moment, um, to then take that pause and evaluate and think critically, is this really true? Maybe I should research this a little more before wanting to do something like that because you've got the emotion there. And like I said, it's not always easy, and that takes some real self-discipline sometimes, but it can really save people from getting into some serious problems. Yeah. I mean, including financially, I mean, you look at Madoff, people who really wanted to make money by investing with him.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And a lot of people really lost a lot of money, including their savings, retirees, you know, all their savings gone because of Bernie Madoff with that whole Ponzi scheme. So, you know, this, this applies to everything in life, especially when you have emotions that are driving the direction you're going down.
0: Well, as an entrepreneur, I can say that I've seen that a lot too, just by watching the quote gurus or the people who seem to be having great success in the entrepreneurial communities that I'm in, you know, I've thought, well, just because they're using this product, it, that means that it's going to work for me. I suffered from shiny object syndrome for the longest time. I can't even tell you how much money I spent on products that didn't work for me just because I actually wasn't even prepared to use them, but they won't say that, you know, they want the affiliate commission. So they're like, yes, get the tool that helped me reach this high level of success, but they forget to mention, but it took me five years of hard, hard, hard work to get here. You can't just sign up for the tool and have it happen.
1: Right. They're dovetailing and leveraging people's inner desires to have a shortcut. And that's when people with the low perceptual intelligence that don't quite understand, you know, can jump in. And I remember one time in college, <clears throat> I got completely duped as well. You know, I wanted to make some extra money do some, and do some modeling and there was this—I grew up in La, in Santa Monica, and I was at UCLA in college, and I saw this ad in the paper, and I thought, great, you know? And so I went to this, like, quote-unquote, like, audition, and then you had to pay um, once they sort of accept, accepted you, and they had this really bogus, court like, few sessions where they taught people how to walk down the runway— and, you know, and then afterwards, if you wanted to get to the next level of training, you had to pay more. And, you know, and it, it was a total scam. Um, and that was just, again, I, I was like, you know, wanting to make some extra money in college. And, you know, the flattery, quote unquote, of being accepted into a program like that appeals to people's egos. And it's the same parameters why people get taken advantage of all the time in in, in a lot of other areas.
0: Oh, Yeah. I know I could get some haters off of this mm-hmm. and that's okay, but I've seen the same happen in MLMs. You know, look at the success that these top earners are getting, but what it's requiring is that you invest money and in that channel, that funnels up the ladder. And then you have to go and get money from other people. I mean, I, I'm not an advocate. Sorry, listeners, to those of you who are in network marketing or MLM, I know that I'm probably pissing a bunch of you off, but I just really can't support that because there, there needs to be total transparency. Early in 2017, I heard about an event that was, I think in the Bahamas. I don't remember exactly where, but it was, it was supposed to be, I should say, hosted by a well-known musician and somebody else. I don't remember the names right now. I wasn't really planning on bringing this up, but they were selling this weekend concert that was supposed to be luxury. Everybody was going to be in luxury accommodations and giving, given awesome food. But what the organizers had tried to do is basically build a city on this island in less than a year. And they had no electricity. By the time the event weekend happened, the tents weren't set up. It was ragged cots that were on, uh, they were on wood pallets. The food was being served in styrofoam boxes, and it was basically two pieces of bread, a slice of cheese, like wow. Velveeta cheese. Brian, not anything fancy, and a slice and a piece of lettuce. So all these people had spent like five to ten thousand dollars to get down there, just because it was promoted by this. Wow big name. And they got there and they found nothing. And in the end, all these people were at the airport just trying to get home because there was no electricity. There were no accommodations for them all.
1: And and there was a, sounds like a celebrity musician who was promoting this.
0: There was. And he admitted after the fact that he had made a mistake. His intention was good, but he didn't realize how much time and effort and work it was actually going to take to make this happen, which I understand. I think- Well, I know that as an entrepreneur myself, we can often get into having grand dreams and not really thinking about how much time it's really going to take. I mean, I just got to be real. I face that every single day. But I do feel bad because all these people, they didn't just buy something, but they actually got themselves on a plane and flew out of the country to be at this event just because of who it was organized and endorsed by.
1: That's an example of the halo effect again. Mm Mm-hmm right? People admired this musician. He was promoting something not even not related to what his core business is that has gained him notoriety. Um, And it turned out to really be a big misrepresentation. But that influence was there, clearly there.
0: Brian, I don't mean to get overly political, but while you were in Russia, what was it that you were seeing that inspired you the most to write the book?
1: You know, Putin really had presented himself to the world and the media largely had bought into this vision of himself that he created and, and manufactured, that he was this renaissance man, man of the world, doing all of these really benevolent things. And as it turned out, under the surface, even to to build the Olympics in Sochi, the Winter Olympics, which is essentially the climate of northern Florida, where you're going to now have the Winter Olympics, is, is almost trying to prove that he's a demigod and how they had to displace and move um, many people who lived in Sochi Um, with the equivalent of eminent domain, but without any compensation, um, was an example. There were human rights um, that were uh, being protested about, you know, in the gay and lesbian community. And um, I can't tell you how many people were thrown in jail because they didn't want to have, you know, people making a scene when people came to the Olympics. Um, There were hundreds if not thousands of stray dogs that were killed, um, so that people wouldn't, um, you know, have dogs, um, you know, around them when they were there. Um, so a lot of really inhumane, terrible things. And of course, right after the Olympics, um, within probably about a week or so, he, uh, you know, was on this high, you know, PR clout wise, and then invades Ukraine um, because, you know, he was riding at such high, um, especially in Russia, you know, with his pole, with very high poles at that point. So, and those are just a few of the things, but, you know, at that point, then the world kind of got a little bit of a wake up call of like, again, a reminder of, of, who he really is and how perceptions
0: are right. not always. Random. The world seems to be getting a lot of.
1: Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard. I was, I was just, um, listening to Ted Koppel speak, um used to be the host of Nightline. And it's interesting, you know, with news now is there was a um, FCC um, uh, ordinance slash ruling that got revoked under Reagan that had required all the major news networks to have balanced news. So if you had somebody from the left, you have to have somebody from the right and vice versa. Well, after that got removed, that's when you stopped really having news organizations be fair and balanced. And that's what we're seeing really now in, in a very extreme form of it. Um, and, you know, somebody asks the question, well, where do you, you know, get your news and what do you advise to you know, understand what's true and what's not true? And he's like, you have to watch both, both sides of the, uh, of the spectrum, you know, to see not just if you're watching CNN because you want to and you like what they're saying, but you should also watch Fox to hear what they're saying too, which I thought was really insightful, you know, to hear both sides. And then you can make a decision and perhaps do some more research. But that, that's, why we, that's why we don't have fair and balanced news anymore.
0: Yeah. For listeners who are outside of the United States, since the Trump-Clinton election, what year was that? 2016? I mean, I besides my husband and a couple other people, I've never discussed who I voted for, and I'm still not going to share now. But I won't even share what news station I watch just because I don't want to be judged in either direction.
1: And and, you know, he said Ted Koppel, um, and for people outside the country may not who are listening? I may not know who he was. He's he's still one of the most legendary newscasters of our era. He hosted a um, show, Nightline, for for decades, um, which was extremely highly regarded. And so he said, now in in 2018, there was a research study that was done. I believe he said from Harvard that showed people are more likely to have interracial marriages than they are to have interpolitical marriages.
0: I can so see that, especially in the climate of the United States right now. And mm-hmm. that's actually one of the- So it just yeah.
1: shows you- yeah. That's
0: one of the reasons why I steer clear of social media. I just don't even want to see those discussions going on anymore.
1: Yeah, so in any case, even if you're listening to the news, whether it's we're watching or, or reading or, or listening on the internet, you have to you have, to still have really well-developed critical thinking skills. And um, not just believe what you want to believe, but really try to always seek the truth. It's very hard now in the news because of uh, the lack of requirements to be fair and balanced. But but it's important. That, That improves your perceptual intelligence, which is what it's all about. So you can make better decisions and operate off of better, more truthful information in your life.
0: Absolutely. How can we make better decisions? How can we make more insightful decisions in our life?
1: When we understand that we have personal biases, which could range from a host of things, like we mentioned earlier, when you have that insight and awareness and you're honest with yourself, then you can identify why you might be believing a certain thing. Um, And that can help you diffuse it so you can get to the truth about a matter. But on the other side of the spectrum of perceptual intelligence, we've kind of been talking a lot, Kim, about the critical thinking part of perceptual intelligence. But on the other spectrum is the other side of it, which is the intuition and gut feeling aspect of perceptual intelligence, which is having confidence when you have an idea come to you, or you're falling asleep at night, or you're waking up, or you wake up in the middle of the night, or if you're meditating and and just you have this idea about something and a gut feeling about something, or you're in a situation, you have a gut feeling, is... Lots of studies have actually shown, even though we don't know where it's coming from, we don't know if it's your subconscious that's giving it to you or if it's this infinite wisdom, higher intelligence that's out there that's giving, you know, we don't know. But a lot of times that's going to lead you in the right direction. Um, So a lot of times people may not be comfortable going with gut feelings on major decisions even, but it's important to at least not discount them uh, uh, as a knee-jerk re- reaction, but to evaluate it and and understand that there might be something there that you can benefit from and may help you in what you're trying to achieve.
0: I so appreciate you bringing that up because just recently, well, since I launched the podcast, I have actually switched my thinking from chasing income to pursuing impact Mm-hmm. And I also, Brian, I don't know if you know this about me. Sorry, listeners. I know you've heard about it so much, but I'm writing a book called Chronic Idea Disorder because I have those ideas all the time. And I mean all the time, shower, driving, trying to get to sleep. But one of the things that I've started doing really is following my gut. And its I've been some of a challenge with my coaches just because some of them know that what would be best? Well, maybe they don't know. They think they know what would be best for me financially, but I've been resisting and I've been following my heart and, and my passion and my purpose more, and it's actually been working out. So I love that you brought that up because I can see how it's working for me. It's in my head for a reason, and I need to follow it.
1: Yeah. And and you just talked about something so important, which I think some people get to in life and and some people never get to, which is it's not about your bank account. I mean, there's so much around us socially and culturally that indicates it's about the bank account. And, of course, you need to be able to support yourself and your family. But when you really think about it, is that really why we're here, right? I mean, that's a bit of an existential question. but. Um, I, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post last year called "What Is the Purpose of Life," and I and I wanted to, you know, try to prove what the purpose was. You know, a lot of people believe it, and some people can have terrible experiences that lead them to believe that you know we need to do good for other people. And a lot of virtually all the religions have that. Even the U.S. Constitution is based upon a lot of those tenets of doing good and not doing bad things. But I I wanted to try to prove that. And so in in my article that was published in the Huffington Post last year, I think I achieved being able to use the human body in any living thing. But I talked mostly about the human body and what happens on a – we're not even aware of all the millions and billions of processes that occur at any given moment to keep us healthy inside – in any of our organs, in any of the tissues, in any of the cells, and to prevent harmful suffering-related things that can happen and insults. And therefore, that's how the extension of our behavior, you know, based that's in a nutshell. And so that's why, you know, I, I think we're here to do good for other people and to also help prevent pain and suffering and misery for other people at the same time. And when people have that understanding, and even something as simple, you know, I've gotten feedback of somebody, you know, for example, who's who's gone through the article and and it caused a mind shift for them that they look through everything in their life differently. And it's not requiring somebody to change their job or what they do, but it's just like in your business, for example, if you're in a business or you're working or you have your own company uh, you interact with other people like you, you. look at everything from a, you know, it's not just about trying to make as much money as I can at the expense of other people. It's doing things in a way that's going to still be beneficial, and even incorporating um, how you can use your your company or or, or if you're working or, or doing something over the weekends to still be able to help other people in the process. And I think. That can be very profound when people realize that that's really why we're here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. I completely agree. I don't know that I've ever shared this on the podcast, and I'm not going to designate which parent was which, but I saw both sides of the fence, of the economic fence growing up. One parent thrived financially, and the other one definitely didn't. But I can tell you from personal experience that the stress level wasn't necessarily any different on either side. There was great stress on both sides and both parents experienced their own struggles. Both were constantly chasing, right? Just different avenues. And there were health implications for both. And it took a long time just growing up like that mm-hmm. to realize that neither side was necessarily right. And that I just needed to step back and see mm-hmm. where I wanted to be. And when I finally realized that I needed to stop thinking Well, someday when I have, or someday when I get, wasn't the case that I am, that I actually am happy right now. And I am very grateful for everything that I have. So many shifts happened; it was amazing.
1: And especially you mentioned a very important word there, Kim, which is gratitude. When you have gratitude, you also enable yourself to be happy because you're oftentimes better than a lot of other people when you can understand that and appreciate that and have gratitude, that allows you to also be happy too.
0: Oh, absolutely. I am not saying this to toot my own horn because I never want to, well, no, I really don't ever want to toot my own horn. But one thing that gets underneath the skin of my boys and I, my boys are older than the rest of my three kids. They're 12 and 15. We'll be driving somewhere, anywhere. And even in times of struggle, we've seen people standing on the side of the road, you know, with their sign that they're homeless and they're struggling and they need a little bit of money. And up ahead of us, there may be four really nice cars and they all just drive right by. But then there's the people who, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: I'm not saying that none of those cars stop. Please know that I'm generalizing. But then we've stopped and we've given, I've even given the last $5 just because I know what it feels like. But I know that I have what I need. And I wish that more of society was like that. We have what we need and more will come, but we just need to be grateful for what we do have and to share those blessings.
1: I think it's a really good point. And you know, you talked about the homeless, which is something that's kind of cl- close to me, is for, for years, once a week, I um, when I'm on my way to working out or going to, I like to row here in the Marine, in Marina del Rey in Los Angeles. I will stop in this area, and I always have my trunk full of new socks, and I'll give out anywhere from twenty to forty pairs of socks, just walking around with the bags. And you know, I'm just doing it anonymously; nobody knows really who I am, and I'm known as the sock guy. And it's it just—I've I've, incorporated, I've made that a routine, like a, a weekly ritual for me. And, and my my daughters are now also you know, part of this, I have twin daughters that are 11. And, um, so, so they're not there with me every week, but, but it's part of me showing them about doing good to help other people too. And so that's a a very small thing, but, you know, makes a big difference for, for people when you can do that. And, um, and however, however anyone can do it, to help other people, even if it's a small thing, even if it's letting somebody in when you're in traffic, right? And you're on a busy street and bumper to bumper and somebody's trying to make that right turn from a side street, just let them in, let them in.
0: Absolutely. Is it going to kill you to wait two seconds for them to pull out and go? No, Mm -hmm. just go. Yeah. I didn't realize you were a twin parent as well, Brian. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and you survived 11 years. You give me hope. Mine are only three. (laughs) Heaven help us both. And oh my gosh, yes. And I have a four-year-old daughter and a three-year-old daughter. So you are just about to approach that age that I am so afraid of. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
1: That that lovely
0: age that they are hitting teenage years. I mean, my my daughters are already divas. I, I fear that age. Which brings me into my next question. I wasn't, I wasn't at all thinking that we would be approaching this, but this is how the Positive Productivity Podcast goes. You and I live in very different areas. I'm outside of Dayton, Ohio, in a very rural, blue-collar area in LA, which is very different as far as raising children. I mean, my kids don't see the same things that yours do. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be generalizing, but I think it's just true. Do you agree?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%.
0: So how do we best support our children when, well, I, I'm going to be more specific. How do you best support your children and bring them up in a way that helps them create their own identity, especially in such a, lucrative's not the right word that I'm looking for. Maybe you could put it in.
1: Materialistic. Materialistic. I materialistic.
0: Yes. Environment. Exactly.
1: That It's something my wife and I have worked really hard at. Um we are both on the same page parenting wise and we know and and i came from very modest backgrounds my parents were hairstylists my dad actually is 85 years old he still cuts my hair so um so to me i've never really had a very you know strong materialistic um drive um i grew up very modestly and And that was fine with me. And especially now that I I mean, wanting to be a doctor, I wanted to help people. And to me, that's really what what, what it was about. Um, So in raising our daughters, it's really important that we lead by example, not by what we say necessarily, but by what we do. So that's why we, for example, um, don't have a lot of crazy luxurious things that a lot of their friends have in school, for example, because I don't, we we don't want to set that as an example for the kids. Um, I drove like a, you know, a car for the same car that was like 15 years old or 12 years old until it finally, you know, well, somebody rear-ended me and I had to get a new one. But, you know, just another example of just how we keep them grounded and Especially here, you know, there's always the, you know, can I have that? You know, so-and-so at school has a phone. Well, our kids don't have any electronics that they take to school. And we're going to hold out as long as we can, um, especially with smartphones, because now lots of research has come to bear that social media for kids is really damaging. Um, The rates of depression and suicide attempts have never been higher than now, and it's because of social media. And this is really the reason why, in a nutshell, if somebody gets left out of going to a party, and by the way, there's a great article written um, in The Atlantic about how smartphones have damaged a generation, which cites a lot of this research. But if somebody, you know, pre-social media gets left out of going to a party with some other friends, okay, they feel bad for like a day or so, and then they move on. But with social media, they're always checking. They're seeing what their friends are doing. Their friends are together. If they're not part of that group at that time, like they see it constantly. It's in their face constantly. And it's very addictive. I mean, even to the point that, um, you know, the CEO of Apple has come out and said that, you know, he won't let his nephew use social media and electronics. And major institutional investors in Apple have said, Apple, you need to do something. This is a problem for kids. It's too addictive and it's very damaging. And these are investors, which are in this by saying this are saying this is more important than profits. You know, selling more phones. Like you need to do something to curb this use in in teenagers, essentially. So, not allowing your kids um, in the middle school years, especially and younger to have um phones and yeah. and unlimited electronics is one thing that also that can be very helpful for raising kids in no matter what environment you're in De- uh, whether it's Dayton or Cincinnati or or Raleigh or Los Angeles or anywhere else
0: i hadn't really thought about that wow and i can see just in my boys i can see how that would impact them
1: It's so addictive. I mean, people can, kids can spend hours on the weekends just laying on their bed on their phone and they don't understand Mm -hmm. what damage is occurring, but the research is so clear. I mean, to the point you even, like I said, have major people with these companies, including a former executive from Facebook saying, we knew something may have been bad coming from all this, but now we know.
0: Wow. Well, I don't mean to make it drastic shift like this but just to lighten it up a little bit
1: i can tell you a joke
0: <laughs> it well in the talking points that were said to me which are very helpful by the way one of the talking points was why is it some people can't resist cat poop coffee <laughs> even with the seat price of a hundred a cup hey i told you the drastic shift listeners you and i know you couldn't have been prepared for that one cat poop coffee
1: Yes, yeah, so, so there's this this is an example of marketing, how it can hijack people's perception and waste their money. So there's a coffee that comes from Indonesia called Kopi Luwak, and that sounds pretty exotic, right? And the story is that in Indonesia there are these special types of cats that can eat these beans that coffee beans that fall on the ground, but they have this sort of magical ability to pick the very best beans and they eat them but it goes through the cat undigested and comes out the back end. And somebody in Indonesia has the job of picking through the remains and getting those beans out and cleaning them. And that's the story that goes into why people are paying a hundred dollars a cup for this coffee because the beans are apparently the very best beans because these cats have this ability to pick out the the primo beans off the off the ground but the reality now is that the beans are good and it makes good coffee but it's not going to knock your socks off but it's how marketing when laced with a really good story can hijack your perceptual intelligence and waste your money
0: all I could think about is you know eating a whole bunch of different colored jelly beans in farting rainbows. I've never, I've never said anything like this on the positive productivity podcast. I don't think I've ever said something so inappropriate, but I I just couldn't think of anything else to say. It's like, wow, really? I can't imagine putting coffee into my system where I, where I knew that that's where the beans had come from. But I said, Brian and I had discussed this a little bit before the episode. I was joking that, you know, maybe i can make money off of all these cat i almost put a bad word in there all these cats that we have in my house right now but no i am not about to start go sifting through <laughs> cat poop to find the magical beans that come out the backside <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep 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 but that that's marketing for you right
0: oh my goodness wow
1: so you have to be a critical thinker
0: wow Brian, I don't even know where we can take this next. I definitely (laughs) would love to continue this conversation, though, in another episode, because I believe there's so much more that we can talk about. So,
1: (laughs) I'd be happy to.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would love if you'd share where listeners can find your book so that they can become more perceptive or gain more PI, right, in their life.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, for better decision-making – um the, the book Perceptual Intelligence is available now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and essentially anywhere books are sold. And also, Kim, we didn't have a chance to talk about this, but there is also in the book an amazing chapter on sex and our perceptions about that and what happens when you change your perceptions, how that actually can improve your sex life. So do go get the book now.
0: I'm interested. Again. Oh my gosh, I feel so inappropriate in this episode.
1: <laughs> I guess I bring this out at the yeah, best in people, Absolutely. Right?
0: <laughs> Brian, where can listeners find you online and connect with you and try to find their eye whitening strips?
1: Well, we have our, our main website, which is b o x e r w a c h l e r B-O-X-E-R-W-A-C-H-L-A-R.com, which talks about all the other procedures I do, including our fortified LASIK, our eye whitening procedure, et cetera, and dry eye treatments too. And then for keratoconus um, patients, the website is keratoconusinserts.com, and and you'll find all the information about Stephen Holcomb, the Olympic bobsledder, and his story, and and there's even a TEDx talk that I gave as well that's on the website too, talking about my story and uh, a lot of the struggles I had against the medical establishment to legitimize the procedure because I was fighting against the establishment that were really entrenched with doing cornea transplants, which this new procedure called now Holcomb C3R had threatened because it was preventing people from getting transplants. So that's all on our keratoconus Inserts website. And of course, in the Olympics, um, I would encourage people to to watch the bobsled um, because it's now the first time that the team is moving forward without their leader, um, Stephen Holcomb, because he unfortunately had passed away this year, tragically. So uh, there's bound to be a uh, media coverage about about that too. And, and he's so inspirational uh, because of what he overcame with his vision um, to achieve what he achieved. So just incredible, inspirational person.
0: And listeners, if you are listening to this episode on the release date, the opening ceremonies are actually tomorrow. And, and that's February 9th of 2018. Just in case you are driving or at the gym and you weren't able to write down the links that Dr. Brian provided. You can get all the show notes at com forward slash PP280. Brian, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners?
1: I do. And think about the big picture, why, we're, why you're really here. And I don't think it's to have the bank account or any of the other materialistic things, I really think it's here to do good to help people and to minimize pain and suffering for people. And think about how you can incorporate that on a regular basis in your job, in your life, and help other people that are in your life also understand that too.
0: Have you requested your seven-day free version of the Positive Productivity Planner yet? If not, I want to encourage you to go over to thekimsuttoncom forward slash 7DP and pick up your copy today. This free version of the planner is going to help get you on track of leading a more positive and productive personal and professional life. Again, you can get your copy at thekimsuttoncom forward slash (laughs) 7DP.